This is an adult podcast made for adults by adults. We're going to do something a little different for the intro because we made some jokes about Pat Tillman on this episode. Apologize might not be the best word because I don't know who I'm apologizing to. So instead, we're doing whatever this is. Pat Tillman is an NFL player who, after 9-11, decides to go war and fight for America. And I thought it was an incredibly funny story and was mocking him. What I've come to realize, and we were kind of realizing it during while we were recording this podcast anyways, is that Pat Tillman definitely did not agree with the war after he joined and also was incredibly frustrated with how his name was used by the military as a way to advertise to kids and get kids to join the military. And then most importantly, it does seem like his death is pretty murky and has a lot of questions behind it. There's even a possibility the American government tried to kill him. But the thing that most people are sure on, there was an attempt to cover up the reason for his death and try to use his death as a way to get kids to join the military. This isn't an apology about vets or whether or not I support 9-11's invasion or anything like that. This is just an acknowledgement of a sort of weird, interesting, fun thing that happens when I thought that I was laughing at someone who was cucked by the American imperialistic propaganda machine, but I was actually the one who was cucked by the American imperialistic uh, imperial propaganda machine to buy the wrong narrative of Pat Tillman. I was thinking about taking out the Pat Tillman bit completely because who the fuck wants to hear about sports? But I still think it's a mistake that I did that's interesting enough to be like, oh shit, there's a bunch of things in the world you think you know what you're talking about because of what you see very briefly on the sort of narrative selling that these main big corporations do. And it's just completely wrong. Because my version of Pat Tillman completely just came from the NFL. And it, it blows my mind. It doesn't blow my mind. But it is wild that the NFL has been able to use such a heroic and disrespectful narrative to the family with the family hating this narrative. Even for someone like me who thinks I am so contrarian and is so anti-narrative, I can still get caught and trapped in these big narratives that someone is trying to sell us. I'm not here to be like, hail Pat Tillman, the greatest hero of America. But I do think what's important, it seems like while Pat Tillman is a symbol in the NFL American military story of being someone to try to recruit people to go to the military, there is also a large, lesser known story of Pat Tillman also being a representation of who gets sent to the military and their story of their death gets covered up. Pat Tillman is incredibly famous, which makes his story the one that is the most loud. But there are a lot of people doing a lot of work trying to point out how the military covers up deaths of their own soldiers and dubious reasons they give to their families. I don't even think this is one of the most controversial things we've said on this podcast, but I would be really upset if this episode reinforce the NFL narrative of Pat Tillman and fail to show light to the other narrative or the truth as I'm sure Tillman's family would say which is kind of what happens in this episode if I didn't clarify exactly what Pat Tillman is I feel like does a lot of disservice and disrespect to those people uncovering those stories or receiving those stories don't worry though this episode isn't all about Pat Tillman there is a lot of Super Bowl talk which I know is a little out of character, but I have specifically been very, very sports cucked. I can't say anything else. It's just bad for me living in Hong Kong and grasping for straws to 
experience American culture. We also talk a lot about childhood fears and why Swain and me are completely different in that. So before all that, let's listen to our great friend's band, Posture. Welcome to Fake Film Fans and Movie Podcast for Thoughtful Degenerates. I am a child who got stabbed in the eyeball. Oh, you didn't say your name, so that's why. Oh shit, why. did I not say my name? <laughs> my name's Suede Best. No, Fuck, it's alright. I'm Suede Best because no, I, you're not. my bookstore no. today was so terrible. And Walter, you think you want to like bring a movie about dragons? But actually, my bookstore was so terrible and my muscles were so big. And I love Christmas. First of all, fuck off. <laughs> Second of all, do you want to know why I forgot my name? I've been smoking and chewing nicotine gum at the same time, and I'm starting to get worried that I'm going to have a heart attack. Like, I'm doing them both. I don't think doing both of them together means you overdose on nicotine. I'm overdosing. I'm overdosing. Oh, no. I don't know oh, how no. many people have had nicotine overdoses. I have them a lot because I'm pathetic. What do you mean? Where you get nauseous or something? That hasn't happened to me in a very long time. The first couple times I ingested nicotine, I would get nauseous all the fucking time. Because the person who introduced nicotine to me was this Norwegian guy who kept... He was No, 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 no. what? What? <laughs> he kept putting his penis on me. <laughs> oh, no! And then dragging me oh, out no! after curfew. How old were you? 18. Okay, well, I mean, it's still bad. Got but. me in trouble in the first week of my boarding school. So this Norwegian guy was something else. And he introduced me to nicotine. But he didn't give me a cigarette. He gave me one of those, uh, what are those? Those patches. A patch on your arm or a pouch in your lip? A pouch on your lip. I didn't know you had to spit when you did those. Oh, God. So you swallowed it? No wonder you got sick. Dude, I got so fucking sick. Literally was walking to a pub and just had to lie on the floor and throw up. But nothing came out. Why did he put his penis on you? Was it a prank? Yeah, he thought it was funny. <laughs> that seems like a bad move, personally. I think that's a bad move. It is that's a bad like a, move. It's like a sexual assault move. This is why Europeans think Americans are annoying, because they're always like, Americans, why are you calling my shit problematic? You guys think you're always fucking woke. And it's like weird because Americans are not woke. But there's some type of no. misconception with Europeans and fucking Americans when it comes to that. I do think the whole world is changing more to let's not put our penis onto people even though they're your friends. <laughs> when you say European, it's so funny to me. It's so funny. Isn't it European? I don't give a shit. Also, they probably call themselves Europeans. Probably only Americans call them Europeans. <laughs> okay okay Uh, you're right you're right i'm so wrong so i know it's been a hot minute but terry has been busy he was actually in ukraine he was fighting against the russians the russians in ukraine are you sure you're not going to make this uncomfortable by talking about ukraine he was oh my god terry's coming back from a fucking crazy area terry's been busy fighting in ukraine but he came back recently oh terry's that guy in the nfl who became a soldier and died <laughs> Wait, maybe I shouldn't laugh at that. <laughs> I also have no clue what you're talking about. During 9 11, there's this NFL guy. He's like, I'm going to quit football and I'm going to be military man. And every single year, this NFL is like, what a god. He fucking quit football to serve his country. Now, okay. it's not funny. It is a little funny. It's it, okay. Fuck it. I don't know how to talk about vets because last time we talked about vets, we cut it out too. So we got super mad at this guy. Who no, talk, who no, like, no, no, no. We don't need to go back. 
back to that. Other than, okay, here's, all right, you want to talk about vets real quick? Here's the one thing I'm going to say about vets. I think there are a group of human beings in our realm of intelligentsia, like people who think similar thoughts to we do as far as like leftist ideals and stuff, who sit at a higher class echelon than I do that really want to shit on veterans because they don't realize how hard the military pushes on people who are at or below the poverty line to get them to join the military to escape, right? How many people are just like, how can you join the military? You're so stupid. And it's like, well, you've you've never had to think otherwise because you were born with a fucking silver spoon in your mouth. And that shit pisses me off. So I will, I don't defend the military, but like when I hear hoity-toity people talking smack about veterans, it hacks me off a little bit because you don't really know why people join the military. Even like now thinking about it, it actually makes me angry because I see so many fucking vets on the street, dude. And I'm, I'm not saying it's not a problem. I'm not selling the military industrial complex isn't an issue. And I'm not saying that, like, fucking brown people who see vets, like, get annoyed at them because they're fucking baby killers. Like, yeah, that's all well and good. I understand all of that. It's more complicated than just vets are bad people because they join the military. This is a take I get from rich people. It's not a take I get from poor people. Okay, first of all, I shit on this NFL guy because he had an NFL career and decided to become a fucking military boy. Oh, yeah, no, you're shitting on this guy because... Because he's a hero in people's eyes and you hate it when other people are- No, no, no. First of all, I shit on him because of the hero thing of the way they stop the NFL and just like, let us recognize this person as the greatest hero in the world. Now, his death is incredibly sad. Uh, I mean, is his death any more sad than any other soldier that dies? Well, most soldiers' deaths are sad, no matter what, since you're talking about Ukraine. If someone told me my dad died in the Ukraine war because he was Russian and was killing Ukrainians, but he died and I'm sad about it, I'm not going to tell them you're wrong. Yeah, but that's not a hot take. I'm not saying people who are in the military are not culpable for the things they've done. They are, in fact, culpable in a lot of ways. I'm just saying it's not, not every person who joins the military is smoking a giant cigar and being like, I can't wait to kill some people, right? I just think it's more nuanced. But the reason you want to make jokes about it is because the NFL is like, look at this hero, salute, saluting them. Well, I also wanted to actually be controversial and actually make fun of his decision. Oh, no, it is a dumb decision. Why would you, with money and an NFL career, decide to join the military? And it's because of 9-11. He was, like, so hardcore cucked by American propaganda that he joined. Like, that's true cuckoldry. Which is sort of sad, but you'd think if you had, I don't know. No, because at the same time, he is an NFL player, so I know there are a lot of NFL players who fucking come from this background you're talking about. So I don't want to shit on it too much. Lower socioeconomic background. Whatever, fuck it. <laughs> Anyways, is this Terry guy going to be even more problematic about Ukraine? Yeah, he, uh, he's coming. Like, he's I coming. can't he's imagine coming. how this Ukraine He's thing on is the gonna... way. Terry, come on. Ter- all right, I'm coming. Oh, all right. Oh, I'm coming. All right, here I am. Oh, man, Wilbur. Wilbur, how you been, Wilbur? It's been a minute now. How you doing, Wilbur? I'm good. I'm good. It's nice to see you, Terry. Look, I respect you a lot. I think it's great you chose to go fight in Ukraine. Well, you know, I was watching the NFL Super Bowl last (laughs) year. I was watching last year's Super Bowl. And they started talking about one of my personal heroes, Pat Tillman. Do you know Pat Tillman, Wolbers? No, who the fuck is Pat Tillman? Well, he was an NFL player during one of the greatest, most tragic parts of American history, 9-11. 
and he saw 9-11 happen, and he said, I gotta go save my country from these terrorists, and he went and fought for his country. That's why I went and fought for Ukraine, because I love NFL player turned soldier who was died in battle, Pat Tillman. That's so crazy, because I actually was just talking about this guy. I just didn't know his name. Yeah, and you were talking about how much of a hero he was, right? I was downstairs eating a slice of cheese, so I didn't hear the previous conversation. Yeah, <laughs> it's so sad. He was mistakenly cut so down by his fellow that makes it so much more sad <laughs> wait really wait i didn't know he died by his, one of his fellow rangers i don't know i mean maybe i shouldn't be laughing yeah you shouldn't be laughing he was a hero he was a hero because 9-11 was bad and i know this because i am an old white man in his 60s who was raised in the south Last time I shit on you for having these type of opinions, but you like defended yourself and said, no, I do care about women with tea. I actually can't remember. I mean, I am a complicated, nuanced individual. I just see the tragedy of 9-11. That's all. I love this country and all of its problematic glory. I think it could become something better. To be honest, I respect that take. I should have that take. I should understand 9-11 was a fucking terrible incident and people who felt like they should join the war because of that are in the right and I should stop laughing at it because I could never do it. Walter, I, I don't know how to tell you this, but Swade is sitting by me and he's doing this like, no, no, stop saying that thing with his, uh, with his face. I agree with you. I 100% agree, but Swade is like, no, 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 that's terrible. And 9-11 was like a totally overinflated attempt for us to sneak into the Middle East to take more oil. Not unlike the founding of Israel. But I agree with you, Walter. And we often like the same trailers, so I thought I'd bring a trailer today. Have you read many Stephen King short stories, Will Wilgren? Oh, no, actually I did. I, I read Sleepwalkers for last episode. Okay, well, that's not a movie. That's I mean, that's not a book. That's a movie. Well, you got me dang old confused. You made me say it was a movie. I asked you, have you read any of Stephen King's short stories? Uh, yeah. I always read. <laughs> okay, okay. Terry, <laughs> Terry, oh. you want to hear something really fucking funny? Well, of course. Well, well, I realize the reason why I don't think chat GBT is so interesting is because I'm so lazy about reading. Like, I can't be bothered to read what it gives back to me. What is chat GBT? It's is like that some kind of like bored and you want to see like 9-11 and Lord of the Rings style. So you type 9-11 and Lord of the Rings style. And then why Pat would I ever want to see that? That sounds fucking hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense to me. Terry, devout man member of the 9-11 was a terrible event. Uh, oh, now Swade's making face again. We gotta move on. Alright, so Stephen King has this fantastic short story called The Boogeyman in which a man filled with a lot of toxic male masculinity about the way to raise a child goes into a therapy room to explain to a therapist that his children have been murdered by a monster. And it's fantastic because you see the humanity of this man who is deeply worried about the death of his children but is too scared to do anything about it. He's at once John Wayne and a coward, and a loving father all at the same time. They're turning this into a goddamn movie, and I think it's going to be terrible. So this is not about the trailer, it's about the movie or book? I saw the trailer, there's no locked room. It defeats everything useful about the short story, because he won't let his kids sleep in their parents' bedroom with him, even though that would keep them from being killed by the boogeyman. He's like, my kids need to sleep in the room by themselves with the light off. And his kids are like, no, the boogeyman's going to get me. And he's like, quit it, children. Quit being wimps. So is the trailer good? You know what? It looks fine. It's got some good actors in it. The main issue is it's going to not be the what makes the short story great. Are you allowing your opinions of the film affect your opinions of the trailer? No, but I am letting my knowledge of the short story affect my opinions on the trailer. Is that good? 
Isn't trailers like a specific type of art that you appreciate void of everything else? Okay, let me put it this way. If someone made a trailer of Aria and there was no melancholy and a little bit of spookiness, you would be annoyed. Well, to be honest, I don't really care about trailers. I mean, oh, oh, oh sorry, sorry. That's not what? true. That's I, not what true. did you just say? Sorry, sorry, God I, damn it. You <laughs> fucking lying piece of shit. God damn lying. Son of a gun, bitch. <laughs> oh, fuck. I fucked up, guys. I don't know what to do now. I, I'm i sorry. I didn't mean to God damn it, piss you pissed off Terry. Off Terry. Like that. You made Terry mad, and he's now he doesn't want to be on the podcast anymore. Damn it. He's just crying. He says, Wal- he says, Walrus has lied to me this whole time. He's made a lie of me. Well, that's not me. Who's Walrus? I think he's talking about someone else. I don't know if I pissed him off. Okay, well, I'll talk to him later. I don't know. He was, <laughs> he was pretty upset, but it's, it's probably fine, I guess. Did you and Terry have a good conversation, though? Yeah, I'm not sure you'll be able to talk to him, though, because I think he'll be killed by his own rangers in Ukraine. <laughs> I don't know what that means. What is that? I don't know what that means. I was not here for your guys' conversation. <laughs> Dude, Terry knows who Pat Tillman is. How did you not know? What? Who's... Dude, I don't care about fucking football or 9-11 really all that much. I saw you guys talking about 9-11, but I left the room after that. Yeah, I don't give a shit, dude. Yeah, but you watch football with your dad. When I watch football with my dad, I play on my Nintendo Switch while he and my little brother watch football, and then I eat the football snacks. That's how I watch the football. And occasionally I look up. And, like, this is one of the things I dislike about football. Like, with basketball, you can, like, see the players' faces and their shapes and their bodies. You can, like, tell who's who a little bit. You can, like, see the different hairstyles and stuff. Like, you can see they're different people. In football, a lot of the time, they all look the same because they've got these big, beefy suits and these helmets. Unless you're, like, when Marshawn Lynch used to play, it was easier to tell who Marshawn Lynch I'm was. I'm just here he that... so I don't get fined. Dude, he's so cool. I love that. <laughs> Dude, he is so cool. He was the beast. Dude, there's like, there's been no football player I thought was as cool as Marshawn Lynch. He just like did not give a shit. He was very good at his thing. But no, football in particular, I think, has this really bad element of being hard to tell who's who on the field. I am so amazed how popular that fucking game is in America. Because first of all, it's 54 fucking players on your team. Plus your fucking reserve. How do you invest in your team? And then there are so many rules. I'm so mind blown by the NFL marketing machine. I think some of it is just that it is the American tradition, like Thanksgiving. Like there's like so much weird stuff going on about Thanksgiving. But you could simplify Thanksgiving to a turkey. How would you even simplify? Like people in Asia legitimately don't even understand any of the NFL rules because it's so hard to simplify. I think in in its genesis, football had a lot less rules and it was just like dudes punching each other. And I don't think you need to know the rules to enjoy it these days. Dude, why is it that we, all right, we always talk about sports. Is it because we love sports? Because I love sports. I'm like becoming a sport cook. All I do is watch sports these days and then watch movies. And then listen to sport podcasts. I get that. All I do is like play sports. I like throw the football so good. I throw the spiral and it's perfect. It always gets to where it needs to go. I throw the pigskin around. The only sport that has ever been entertaining for me to watch is, I guess, MMA. But I find that unpleasant pretty quickly. What about like bodybuilding? Isn't it your favorite? That's not a sport. That's a lifestyle. <laughs> Have I told you about this film called Muscle? Is it the <laughs> is it the, the, the Japanese smegma cottage cheese movie? Yeah. But it's about bodybuilding. <laughs> we did like a whole bit about this movie. Really? Fuck. Why do I only talk about... Man, I'm such a 
boring person. What the fuck is wrong with me? Such a fucking boring idiot <laughs> cock loser. Just fucking worthless. And I remember it in particular because I thought it was a documentary. And then I was like, yeah, this guy cuts his arm off. I was like, well, how can this be a documentary? And he's like, well, I guess it's not really a documentary. And I was like, what is wrong with you? Yeah, but you were saying it was a documentary at the beginning of the bit. <laughs> I don't remember at all. Yes. And then when I pushed you, I was like, well, it's not a documentary, but I didn't feel like correcting myself. It was something like that. Something insane like that. I just want Arnold Schwarzenegger to put cream cheese onto his body. I want okay. muscle building to be a cream cheese party. Combine cheese rolling with muscle building, except the what cheese, is cheese is softer. Rolling? What is cheese rolling? Dude, have you never looked up top 10 most insane sports? No. Is cheese rolling a sport? So chess boxing used to be on that, but chess boxing has gotten mainstream. So cheese rolling is a sport where people like roll cheese and chase after it, or they Is this roll a real thing, or like, are you just making shit up? I swear to God, it used to be on those top 10 <laughs> lists of okay. weirdest okay. sports stuff. So this may or may not exist. This may be a figment of your imagination. Okay, the other thing that I heard was rock climbing with ironboarding. So like you bring your clothes ironboard and then you get up to the top of the mountain. <laughs> Do you mean ironing? Like, Is there a word for that in either Hong Kong or Cantonese that you can pull? I mean, probably. I just don't know how to say it. So that's important. You don't know how to say it in your native language or in English. There's a lot of things okay. I don't know it's how called to say. Ironing. It. It's called ironing. It's called ironing and you use an ironing board. The action is not not called ironboarding that is insane well it sounds like waterboarding so i think it works <laughs> i'm gonna waterboard you that's what's gonna happen that's gonna be the sport the sport is gonna be me boxing you and then a waterboarding you i'll be a hero like pat Tobin after i get waterboarded <laughs> by sways i was walking home one day and this like fucking totally drunk i don't know if he was homeless but he did ask me for money i cannot understand a word he's saying he's so drunk and finally i figure out he's talking to me about the super bowl and he's like yeah i'm rooting for the chiefs man i'm rooting for it who, who do you want to win and i'm like i don't really watch sports and he's like no everyone's got a team everyone's got a team which is your team which is your team just like this fucking like ancient dude and finally i look at him and i go well, you know who my team is he's like who's your team who's your team and i go the Kansas City Chiefs, which is what he, I just mirrored what he said. He's like, oh, my bro, you know, come here. We, we had this big, great hug. That story just reminds me of how I was introduced to Baltimore. Donut. He was telling me about, yeah, Baltimore is a very segregated city and it's racialized and it's just sometimes feels like a very ununified city, except during the time they won that Super Bowl. I could not imagine yeah, how yeah, many yeah. people came out and just hugged each other like they were best friends. Oh, dude, it's like that in Philly, too. I think that's a lot of places in the world. This is why people used to, like, go to the Coliseums, right? I mean, like, you're unified behind violence. It's like simulated warfare. Literally, it was why everyone was down with 9-11. That's like the same apparatus, in effect. The last Super Bowl was pretty fun. This one? Dude, this one was bullshit. Fucking Kansas City Chiefs fucking won in the worst way possible. Field goals should be okay, illegal. Okay, the fucking last foul was annoying. It was a fun game for most of it. I think you shouldn't be able to win by field goals. I think you should have to win with a touchdown. You should only be able to kick a field goal if you can kick it from the starting line. Just like the 60-yard magnum from the hit manga, Ice Shield 21. People like the field goal stuff. I mean, how else are you going to call it football? <laughs> football. Goal! Goal! Who would you play in football? I feel like I would be 
the quarterback. I want to be the offensive lineman. Okay, <laughs> this is why I love offensive linemen. They get skinnier after they quit the sport because they're so used to overeating <laughs> to weigh 300 pounds that when they quit yeah, the yeah. sport, they're like, thank God, I don't have to eat so much. So they become skinny. The people who are on the defense who like attack the quarterback, they always stay fat because they don't need to like overeat <laughs> like that. I think it's so cool. I think it's such a, I don't get any of the glory, but I do all the work type of job. And then you always get blamed because if your quarterback is shit, a lot of people will say your offensive lineman is shit first, not the quarterback. Yeah, because if you were just doing your job, the quarterback would be fine is the idea. That's the other thing about Aisha 21. Those linemen, they play defense and offense. They're both pretty much. I want to be Kumata. I think I would want to be the guy who like throws the ball to the quarterback. I think that would be the coolest position. Who the fuck throws the ball? Oh, that's center. Yeah, yeah. I think center would be pretty cool. So he's an offensive lineman too. So basically we want to be the same thing. Oh, no, no. I'm, maybe I am talking about the quarterback. You know the guy with the pointy nose who throws the ball to Senna? I guess he is the quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> you thought Senna was the quarterback. That was the problem, right? No, he's the running back. But in my mind, he takes the position of the quarterback because he's like the hero. And I can't remember his name. is like Yoichi or something. Or, or Yo- Yoichi or something. He's just such so badass because he's got that devil bat laser when he throws the ball. It just like goes. Dude, that punt thing is also the dumbest thing ever. I know it's like a short pass where the center gives it to the quarterback but why do you need it it's like if they fuck up they get crucified for it but like you never train for that you train to eat and get fat why you know how to throw the ball (laughs) behind your legs it's so dumb it's just the one thing you're supposed to be able to do if your whole job in the kitchen was to do dishes and also sometimes fry an egg you would be expected to be able to fry that egg perfectly (laughs) because it's the only element of cooking you need to be good at ah that's a fair point okay i take back what i said you're pretty smart (laughs) sweet pretty smart pretty smart uh so that was uh that was fake film fans our football episode uh, I want to thank everyone for coming. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe. Uh, I hope, I hope, and if you're like actually mad about Pat Tillman, let me know. Isn't that saying, I'm trying to figure out how, okay, initially Tillman was attacked by an apparent rush, but it turns out his death was friendly fire. Tillman also said the invasion and occupation of Iraq was fucking illegal. Man, Patrick Tillman actually sounds kind of cool now that I'm saying this. Yeah, I did hear he actually did not like the war. (laughs) Okay, you know what? No, this Pat Tillman dude, I don't know. Played football, joined the army because he was cucked by politics, and then was like, oh man, never mind, this shit sucks. If that's the narrative that actually happened, he seems kind of Well, that's not a narrative that the NFL includes. Questions surrounding Pat Tillman's death. I think the narrative in the NFL, to be honest, I don't pay attention because I roll my eyes on all the vet days, which is probably bad. No, I mean, I I do too. I don't celebrate Veterans Day. I don't like fucking do Veterans Day shit. I just get annoyed when people are on Veterans Day being like, man, fuck veterans. And also a lot of times when you go on vet day it's not the vets on the street it's people who it's hard to say i don't actually know their lives because maybe they really do have it rough but vet day is all about celebrating where a vet is rather than like showing what being a vet means i agree that what veterans day should be is not celebrating what they did to keep our country quote-unquote free we should be being like hey Look at the fucked up shit that's happened because of our country's need to commit violence against other countries to make money. But instead, it's either like, oh, man, we love veterans, or you have these fuckers being like, man, fuck vets. Here's the difference between fuck all cops and fuck all veterans. Fuck all cops, because, like, cops don't end up homeless on the street, having been used by a machine to hurt others. That's what happens to veterans. In general, in my mind, cops are enforcers of the machine, while veterans, in a lot of ways, are victims. And I I, I don't feel that way about, like, a general. Like, if some three-star general was like, boy, I'm a veteran, 
And I was like, no, fuck you, man. You you help this shit happen. Fuck you and the horse you rode in on. But I don't know. There are so many fucking vets I see on the street, dude. And they're all so fucked. And it's just like, man, you know, soldiers are baby killers. There's like an ugly truth there. I don't think every soldier kills a baby, but there's some shit that happens that soldiers do that's like mad fucked. But like in general, those dudes and women, I mean, they get fucked over. They get hurt by what they're doing. It seems different to me than the police. You don't see police ending up homeless drunk on the street with PTSD. I think you can say all soldiers are bastards. You can be like, I hate all soldiers. But vets are no longer soldiers, right? But there are some good ex-cops, right? That's something you can say. Maybe. I've never met one. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, never mind then. (laughs) I've literally never met someone who is an ex-cop. I've only met people who are cops, and they always suck. Maybe the reason why cops stay cops is because when you're retired, you still consider yourself a cop. But there are some soldiers who retire who consider themselves soldiers, and I think you can be like, those people suck. But there are some soldiers who retire and they're vets. They're not soldiers. And I think maybe that's a distinction. Here's the other thing. The people, the veterans who I'm talking about, the ones who are on the street, the ones who have PTSD, none of them are happy they went to war. I don't know. Like, fuck, even this Pat Tillman fellow was like, oh, man, this was a bad idea. Well, well, that's my point. That's why when you retire as a soldier, you don't stay a soldier. Right. And which is where I I remember that during the height of George Floyd protests, I did find this article by this ex-cop who was like, no, cop being a cop is bad. It's the only one I've ever read well my guess is that if you find a cop who's an ex-cop they're not gonna be like i'm a cop they're gonna probably hide it from you not want to share it until it gets to a point where you ask them hey what did you do back then and they'd be like oh man i feel really bad about this but i was a cop all right so you know what we need to do we need to have an episode of the podcast where we have a cop on the show I don't think that's going to go very well, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be fine. We'll just have no hot takes. This is the problem with Terry. Terry's a soldier. All yeah, soldiers so- are bad. Terry is a bad person. <laughs> yeah. Well, but you know, Terry's first wife was Ukrainian. Is Terry still crying? <laughs> he's still crying. I could hear him crying downstairs. It's just, yeah, he's going to keep crying. It's fine. Well, here's the other thing. Terry did not join an army. Terry went there solo as a soldier, like of one. A mercy. Yeah, a mercenary of one. He's not like with any special forces. He's just got like his sweet gun and like a sword. So that means he's like killing Ukrainians too. No, he would never. No, I mean, I don't know. I fucking hope not. I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, I assume he's just aiming at the ones at the suits who are bad, right? With the with the outfits that are bad. Otherwise, how else would you tell in war? Like, clearly the guys have different outfits. Yeah, I think Pat Tillman probably wore the wrong outfit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he woke up, he put on a kafia scarf and a baklava. He was like, all right, I'm ready to go to war. And they were like, oh, no. Yeah. first film we do that i'm actually going to want you to talk about the plot because i have no fucking idea what what fucking happened oh my god all right i was actually gonna do a bit where this movie doesn't have a plot but it does have a vague plot. do we need to do a redo (laughs) yeah man dude the movie we watched today was skinamarink maybe (laughs) and i was so engaged with the plot it was 
So cool. But Walt, what are you talking about? There's no plot for this movie. <laughs> this movie's totally plotless. What the heck, Walt? What are you talking about? It's crazy. Oh, sorry. I think what happened was I mixed up the style and the plot. Sometimes <laughs> I think style and plot are the same thing. I actually cheated a little bit because I'd heard about this movie. And so I knew a vague plot breakdown, at least from the beginning, like the log line, which is that for some reason, kids are trapped in a house with no doors, spooky stuff, and shoes. I will say this is one of my weirdest experiences watching a film because I was at once so bored and so scared. The movie is technically classified as found footage and analog horror because it feels like it's been recorded on a VHS tape and VHS tapes are like a central focus visually I guess and I'm I have been more interested in analog horror recently from like a writing perspective. Everyone is getting into analog horror too. I don't actually understand why people are so addicted to it. Maybe it's just easy to consume because it's on YouTube. A it's on YouTube. B, it's getting back at a small piece of anxiety that I think is kind of semi-universal with certain communities. I think this movie kind of proves this anxiety I want to talk about, and I'll get to it in a second. I think the other thing is that it's just catching. It's easy to reproduce. Um, It also has to do with those liminal space anxiety. What? <laughs> the back rooms or the liminal spaces is like this horror subgenre of these weird, creepy spaces that are transient. Hotel hallways are a big one. Or like when you pick your nose, you're really scared that you don't get a booger, but you get like a fucking monster. Dude, how how come no one has ever fucking made a horror movie like that? I'm pretty someone... sure there's a Shel Silverstein poem about a monster that lives in people's noses and bites off their fingers. <laughs> That's good. Why are we reading The Giving Tree then? Dude, that is the worst <laughs> poem Shel Silverstein ever wrote The Giving Tree. There's so much super crazy shit. I don't know. So Giving Tree makes me cry a little. Can I, can I, okay. The liminal space horror and the, the, the backrooms horror are these spaces that exist as like gateways a little bit that are like creepy because you're often in them alone when you're going from one place to another next they're the place that you feel the most vulnerable so like parking garages like when nightcrawler teleports from some place to another fucking, place that no little... not at all <laughs> i hate you so much no it's like all right have you ever walked through a hotel like or a, like a, the hallways of a hotel where there are no windows and all the doors look the same and it feels like you could be anywhere on planet earth because it's just this hallway without any context to the outside world you understand this liminal space thing right this is not completely foreign to you it's not foreign to me I'm just giving you a hard time because I think people who are scared of that space are pussies. Well, but there's something inherently, <laughs> this like liminal space trend is about something that I want to get to in this film. The anxiety of spaces without a whole lot of context. As an adult, when you walk through a parking garage late at night, you're not scared because you're unsure what's going on. You're scared because someone could grab you and assault you. You know, you've got context for the anxiety of the parking garage. But this liminal space anxiety is just... Just like I am somewhere that is contextless, that I don't have any landmarks for, that I'm not really sure why it exists. It's just here and it's uncomfortable and weird. As adults, the only way we can have that anxiety is when we see these weird spaces played with a little bit. Or we're in a space that is like really evocative. When I took my little hotel break, like when I wanted to see if I could stay in a hotel by myself, which I did and Walter made fun of me for. I didn't make fun of you about the whole t Okay, never mind. <laughs> We've been through this. You made fun of me because I brought my blankets and my pillows. But then I said never mind because actually it is kind of funny that going to a hotel is like a big stuff for you. So I could make fun <laughs> of you for that too. So <laughs> um, I was talking to this young woman on Tinder 
and I sent her an episode of the podcast and we had a good conversation. And then a day or two later, I like invited her out to coffee and she never responded back. I listened to the podcast episode I sent her. It's an episode where I'm like, oh, I can't drive on the highway. I still live with my parents. I'm single ladies. Like it did not paint me in a good light. I was like, oh, I wonder if that's why. <laughs> this story that you just told is literally the story you told last episode, except now you've singled this lady out. Oh, did I say this last episode? Yeah. So the next episode, yeah, we're just going to say her name. I'm yeah, going to say her literal name. Say her name. <laughs> and so now, like when I was in the, the hotel by myself, there were like windows you could see everywhere. But at the hotel I was at in Charlottesville, you get on that elevator, you get onto the floor you're at, nothing. It's like being on a whole nother fucking planet. And th the only way you can experience that, that liminal anxiety is either by being in a space that's so evocative like that, or like this movie, which plays with these spaces. I think the other key thing about this liminal space anxiety, it's got a nostalgia element because you can't have those fears as an adult in the same way, like I'm saying. Like the last time I was in a sketchy parking garage by myself late at night, I was not scared of the space itself, right? I was scared of what could be in the space. These liminal spaces, I think, have an element of nostalgia because it's a fear that you had as a child because you didn't have context as a child. And so it's this weird thing of like, I'm scared of this, but I also remember it in a very weird way, but not like positive nostalgia. I am genuinely fascinated with the way you explained it. The way you word that because there's no causation for it and you get anxious is a very interesting layer to it. And this is why you're fascinated with it because it's so relatable to your understanding of universal fear or fears that don't have an explanation for so it has to be universal. I have an experience recently. It's not about liminal spaces. I wonder if this is even remotely relatable. Maybe this is because I don't go outside enough. But lately I've been on the MTR, which is the subway in Hong Kong. And when it's rush hour and a bunch of people come in, I've been starting to get this weird feeling like I'm getting sent to the Holocaust. It's a little unnerving. And there's no causation for that. But it's this whole weird thing where everyone's just willing to stuff themselves in a fucking train to move from one place to another place. It's just uncanny. No, the uncanny is good. Because like, if you were a child and your mom was like, we're going somewhere, but you need to get in this giant, tightly packed thing where we all are touching each other and we're all going very fast. And if it crashes, we die. You as a child would have no context for that and be terrified of it because of how uncanny that thing that you just talked about is. In the same way, if you told a child, hey, to go to the place where we're sleeping, we're going to walk through a hallway with no windows where every door looks the same. If you get lost, there's no way of you figuring out where to get back to also all the doors are opened by magic keys like that's nightmarish that level of weird uncanny is i think something that we grow out of as adults we either learn to look at the uncanny as something that is sexy to be dissected. And beautiful and i was just gonna say dissected Oh, still the uncanny. Ooh, you're so seductive to me. I think what happens more often is people rationalize it. Is we get to a point where they're like, obviously this is not crazy. This is just how things do. As an adult, you're not going to be scared of the dark. Or if you are, you're going to chastise yourself for having a fear for something that's not true. Right? Like, I am deeply afraid of the dark. Okay, you don't chastise yourself. You just fucking cry. Okay, so first of all, I don't cry. I never <laughs> cry. Except for sometimes. Sometimes I, I cry. cry. <laughs> Sometimes when I watch Space Sweepers, I cry. Sometimes the giving tree makes me cry. <laughs> but like as an adult, when I'm like afraid of the dark, I'm always like, 
you're only afraid of the dark because you're a crazy person. There's nothing to worry about. As a child, that's not how it works. As a child, you're just like, what the fuck is going Sometimes on? Sometimes Pat Tillman makes me cry. <laughs> Dude, we're going to get sued by Pat Tillman's family. We're going to get sued. No, I think we said, I think we decided we were kind of pro-Pat Tillman a little bit. We are pro. Family. That's why sometimes I cry about him. <laughs> he got tricked and lost his life by fucking idiot enemies, by idiot soldiers. Dude, how much do you want to bet it was some asshole who was just like, oh, look at me, I'm going to shoot you. And he's like, no, come on, put that away. He's like, no, I'm going to shoot you. And then he like, accidentally, like, uh-oh. That's what would happen if one of us joined the army. We'd be like, oh, look, I've got the grenade. I'm going to pull out the That's pin. And they'd be like, That's only you. Only you. I don't know why you drag me into your fucking insane shit. I have my own insane shit, but I don't want to be dragged into yours. That's true. I actually don't know how, like, that would be how I accidentally got kicked out of the army was like, I was joking around and blew someone's leg off as a goof. I think this idea about liminal space is really interesting, but I am curious about this movie in particular, because I don't think this movie is something you tend to watch. It feels like something that you'd be too scared about. I actually will be honest with you. Had I known how uncomfortable this movie was going to make me probably wouldn't have watched it. Like, I know tonight I'm going to be worried. That's just like where I am because there are certain kinds of movies that reactivate that childhood fear. So you want to know how funny this was? I was watching it by myself downstairs because everyone was out and it got to probably about 34 minutes into the film where I was paused and was just like, I'm just going to wait for someone else to get home to finish this movie. (laughs) (laughs) And I was still terrified because we have a small house, right? So my dad's sitting on the couch half asleep. I'm sitting on the other side of the couch watching it. With my dad next to me, I was still getting scared of this movie. In my opinion, that was the scariest part, though. 34 minutes into the film. Yes. You first see the images of their parents. Because finally, the film makes sense. This film constantly is showing cartoons, toys, and little bits of dialogue. You're trying to listen to all the analog noises. Your ears have been trained to feel so concentrated on every single background sound that every single movement of the camera, you're like extra tense. And finally, the kid walks up to the bedroom and then her dad and mom are sitting on the opposite sides of the bed, but you can only see their image and they asked her to look underneath the bed that was not the scariest part to me the scariest part in this goddamn movie is when the little girl goes up the stairs for the first time and she's looking around and she looks up and she sees a face ish shape behind the curtain and then she screams because her little brother has startled her that shit made me piss my pants i was like fucking i hated that and i think that is what this movie is interested in like i actually think the weaker parts were when the parents were in display I think the scariest parts of this movie were when there's just like analog weird darkness from the VHS tape recording and you can see shapes in the darkness that might be faces, might just be the graininess of the film and you have no clue what's going on. Because that was me as a child. I was terrified of the dark. I was absolutely horrified of the dark because I would see things and I was like, is that a face? Is that something there watching me? I can't fucking tell. And it was, it was just like so fucking nightmarish. And I have gotten over that sort of as an adult. And watching this movie again gave me, this was the nostalgia thing I was talking about. It's an anxiety I have not felt in a very long time. The lack of image or the almost image is really what's gotten me. So my mom, when she was little, she was like me. She was terrified of the dark. She would quick turn off lights and run and jump to her bed. And then eventually in the middle of the night, she would have a panic attack and run to her parents. And it was like the scariest thing for her. And I used to do the same thing when I was little. Are you kidding me? I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would like run through the darkness, absolutely terrified to one of my parents to be like, it's the end, you know, just like completely distraught with animal fear. 
And I was thinking about walks, especially in my, my mama Lee, my dad's mother, her house, there was a specific walk from the living room to her bedroom that scared me so much for some reason. It was dark and windowless, kind of like the hallways in this movie. And so my dad is like half asleep. I'm sitting next to him and I go, hey, you know, pops, did you have like walks were you afraid of at night? Like a specific set of movements from one place to the next that gave you a lot of anxiety? And he looked at me like I was a goddamn alien. <laughs> he had like no clue what I was talking about. Where is your brother in this fucking... Because this film has two siblings. And the relationship with you with these fears when you're a kid is you and your parents. I don't ever hear about your brother. Why was he never that source of comfort? Because I was the big brother. I'm Okay, that's fine. But I think you underestimate how weird that answer is. Okay, I mean, it's not that way anymore. Are you kidding me? Rocky has been like a rock. Because like... I don't handle sitting around and waiting. I don't handle bad news well. When there's nothing that can be done about the bad news, it's just sitting and being worried. I mean, Rick is so good at just, like, helping me out with that. I mean, like, this last round of stuff with my dad, like, I would not have made it through without him. So Rocky is rock-like to me in in my adult life. But as a child, no, Rocky was... Actually, that's not true. All right, when I was probably seven or eight, which would have made Rocky four or five, my mom and I and my little brother were driving back from Asheville, I think, and a literal tornado went over our car. It touched down a couple miles in front of us, but I mean, like, we saw the thing go over our car. Rocky slept through it, had no experiences. Me, I saw the car, the car was, like, shaking, and, like, trees were, like, smashing down and everything, and the rain was going everywhere, and it sounded like a freight train went over our car. For the next year, anytime the wind blew, I totally freaked out. Like, even it was just a light breeze. And I would run into my bathroom closet, which was about three feet by three feet. And I would make myself a little chair. The only problem was I was also afraid of the dark. So I would grab Rocky and I would go hide in the closet. And with him sitting next to me, both of us cramped in this little tight space, me reading Calvin and Hobbes to Rocky in the dark. So I'm curious about this two children thing, because could this movie have worked with one kid? The two kids, I think, function a little differently in part because of this anxiety of the dark i was talking about the girl is older so she can put names to these fears she's scared because she doesn't know where her mom and dad is she's like developed enough to understand these things in like a little more of a concrete way but this other kid is just afraid and he has no fucking clue what's going on he's like four it seems to me like the 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 girl in this movies her anxieties are like a way for us to get into what's going on. There's clearly something in the house that's doing spooky shit and she can sense it. And it's only until she's gone that this final child is like, oh shit, maybe something weird is going on. I also think narratively it keeps them from freaking out. If it was just one kid, the freak out would be way quicker because they'd be all alone when kids are together. Like when Rocky and I were in the closet, I was less scared because there was someone else. You were always in the same room with Rocky too, right? Yeah, we shared a bedroom for a good portion of our lives. This fucking movie, I feel like if it could happen to me my brother and we would just be watching cartoons so i felt like my brother for me has always been that type of support for me that a lot of things i was scared of he was the reason that got me through or made me less scared of it maybe that is a bit of the uncanny nostalgia you're talking about yes that's the nostalgia i'm talking about there's a weird level of anxiety that is hyper connected to childhood there the, I, I guess the reason i say nostalgia is because it's like an anxiety that i don't have as much as an adult it's not only that i am seeing these children have this fear 
the movie is making these me have this fear increased by the fact that very rarely do we see the kids in the shot it's usually from their point of view i guess then so it makes you feel like the child it not only presents the fear but it makes you inhabit it because like when you watch fucking it or whatever and they're scared of the monsters you're still seeing the kids be scared of the monsters this movie makes you be the scared kid that's that level of nostalgia anxiety the conversation more about our differences because i can explain why i don't fear being alone or being in a liminal space because i relished being alone i loved reading in the dark i loved having a break away from my brother because we were always fucking together being super paranoid about my mom scolding me for every little detail so darkness being alone all that stuff was like the precious seconds of my life that I would not be like in constant fear about doing something wrong that someone would yell at me for. That thing you're talking about feels like a healthy way to deal with solitude. To where me, I feel a lot of anxiety, not by myself. I actually realized this. I was sitting downstairs today drinking a cup of coffee while my mom and dad and little brother were all talking and they didn't say a word to me. And I was so comfortable. I was just sitting there listening to them make noise while I drank coffee and read comics. Because that's what I want. I don't really want people to talk to me. I want to do my thing. But I take a lot of pleasure knowing they're there. Yeah, and I hate knowing people are there. Because I can't scratch my balls. Well, my my or... issue is when I'm there by myself and there's no one around. That's when the fucking noises start. The noises and the fucking faces and shit like that. Like, all the things that aren't real that I can, like, half see and half hear. Or that, like, could appear out of the corner of my eye. That's when that shit starts. And it's like, okay, well, fuck. I mean, I, I don't go to sleep without listening to a podcast. Because I need noise to banish those other noises. Our fears happen differently right because i i have the panic problem i have the fear of things that aren't happening i'm scared of the dark in the middle of the night and i'm running to my mom and dad's room and like begging to let me sleep in their bed for the night because i'm afraid of whatever fucking thing has appeared in my brain at that day that's like something very i don't know if it's chemical i don't know what it is but it is not it's not the same type of fear it's not the same type of anxiety it's crazy to me that you weren't afraid of weird stuff did you not have nightmares yeah kind of but also remember my scariest moments were like me playing video games in the fucking morning at six in the morning and then my mom comes out 15 minutes earlier and we're all just fucking hiding underneath the tables hoping she doesn't look down underneath the table to find us <laughs> if i was to re-explain why i thought that scene where the kid goes up to the mom and dad images was scarier to me than seeing faces around me in the dark randomly and they didn't even do this in this film for me it would have freaked me the fuck out if when the camera pans onto the parrots and there was this long pause if the parents slowly turned to the camera and i know it breaks what the movie is about as you said because the movie is more about shadows and the lack of vision but i needed a fucking image to get scared if we're talking about my mom coming into the computer room what was scary about that was that i was physically hiding underneath the desk and my mom had to bend over to find me so i would see my mom's face slowly come down from above the desk into the space below the desk 
I need images to be scared of things. I don't get scared of the lack of compared to you two. I think that's so interesting because I think that says something about who we are. You're very flighty with the way you think, but you are pragmatic in some pretty simple ways. I need stimulants. Something needs to stimulate me before my brain works. I have a hard time interacting with people sometimes because people can tell when I'm bored. Yes. When people yes. say something interesting, I can be really hyped and energetic. The problem is when I'm bored, I don't have anything to say, so I just shut the fuck up and listen. Of course people get offended. No one yeah, wants you hurt to their feelings because it's a mean thing to think. Yeah, it's a mean thing to think. But I'm sure everyone gets bored of people sometimes. They just don't get as excited as I would be. So it becomes specifically bad for me. So my dichotomy of having a bored conversation and having an interesting conversation is so fucking extreme that like people can tell so differently my two sides. Well, anyways, at the point of that, my issue is any of my thoughts need a stimulant. I need something to like trigger before I go on a fucking rampage of what I'm thinking about or otherwise I'm just fucking mindless or I'm a, a fucking brain dead. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> Dude, I wish I was there with you. Are you kidding me? I need input to silence the inside. <laughs> I think this is like one of those times, like when people hear me talking, I sound like the crazier person. But then when you like actually interact with Walt, you'll see exactly what he's talking about. Like Walt has no ability. Like I've gotten pretty good at like being like, oh yeah. And like pulling stuff out of people and listening to them and pretending like I'm engaged when they talk about stuff. Right. Like that's a skill that you have to have. I've like always been pretty good at it. Walt, like if you start talking to him about something, he won't go like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. I get it. You just go, uh, okay. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. And like you can see the interest draining from his face. <laughs> it's so funny, but it doesn't really come across in the podcast. You're because, so interesting. Well, and you, you cut the parts where I say something and you're like, I don't know what to say to that. Because I remember <laughs> when we'd lived together and I'd be like, oh my God, did you hear about this? And you would look at me and be like, what, what? <laughs> What does that mean? Why should I care about that? And I'm like, well, I mean, I don't know. Isn't that interesting? And you're like, I don't. I don't care. It's <laughs> like complete, like, oh my God. And I don't know either. I don't know how to explain it to people. But when you tell me something I don't find interesting, I shut the fuck off. I don't know why that happens. Well, it's but just... so like if I went up to you and was like, Walter, did you know that uh, sharks regrow their teeth all the time when they lose them? I mean, I know that already, so... <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah like, okay how would other people respond because i'd be like okay that's cool and I, I would be like oh yeah man sharks are crazy like that isn't that weird freaking animals man they're kind of scary huh you keep the conversation moving you keep the ball <laughs> yeah. rolling <laughs> but i i do do well when like we're on the podcast and i like ask you a bunch of questions about your rants yeah i think actually that's one of the skills you've picked up is if you're not really sure what's going on or you can't be interested in a conversation you'll ask questions until you get to something interesting which i think is a pretty good skill for sort of where you exist in the in the social emotional spectrum and i also don't even know what i find interesting it's so random it tends to be about things that don't have answers but it's rarely like like, like, I got a buddy named Rashad, uh, and we just, like, talk about anime and comic books and manga, and we just talk about how cool the powers are. If I was like, dude, and fucking Kenpachi, Kenpachi's such a badass, right? I fucking love Kenpachi. But this fucking Bankai- From Bleach? Yeah, from Bleach. If I was talking to you about that, what would you say? Like, if I was like, how cool is Kenpachi? <laughs> I think I prefer people- <laughs> She literally can't tell anything. <laughs> Do you really do you have Do you really have nothing to say to that? You just have no clue how to respond. 
No, I don't know. I, I I wish I was less scared. If there's one thing I would change about my life, it would be that I was less scared of things. It's a part of me that I really hate. I think it makes for good horror writing. If you want to read something that'll make your fucking make you feel nauseous, just let me write it. Like I can do that for a heartbeat. That's why I need you to watch horror with me. Cause I, I don't understand horror in the horror way properly. I always love it when you explain to me why this story is scary or why this horror film is horror. Because a lot of time it blows my mind. I'm a fucking like holy shit i didn't realize you could be scared of something of absence i'm like whoa <laughs> that's right walter will never be scared of a movie until his mother appears on the screen and it's like your eyes are gonna get worse while you're playing game boy with like a fucking chopstick to hit you with dude that's what my second point though remember how we always talk about how you are not scared of video games and i am it's because video game horror is all about stimulation yeah it's true it's true the only thing that gets me in horror games are jump scares anymore and i'm not actually scared i've just been startled and i'm not scared i just find that startling so anxious it's not like oh fuck and when i play a pretentious horror game of the lack of absence i'm like oh my god this is scary shit no it's me using the controls that's when i'm fucking scared i'm scared of pressing forward <laughs> yeah, you're scared of pressing forward in a horror game in the same way you're scared of pressing forward in Fallout, which is not a horror game. Yeah. <laughs> the only game. There is one game that scares me to my core still, and it's P.T., which actually I think this movie took a lot from P.T. Everything takes a lot from P.T. Uh, it's just because it was so genius. For people who have not played P.T., I'm sorry, because it's like so fucking good, and it's like not easy to find now because they took it off the PlayStation Store or whatever. Um, So like the only people that have it are people who download it it and then didn't delete it you can get the computer version but the computer version is different that's the problem pt is this game where you're going through this hallway loop weird shit gets happens and then there's this fucked up lady who can murders you it's like very basic as far as the way a horror movie would be set up but so the thing about pt that made it so scary to me was that the win loss conditions were so fucking complicated so it felt so out of your control you had to speak into the controller and say stuff to like win and stuff like that and if you didn't you were just confronted with this horrible monster and i think sometimes even if you said the stuff right you'd still just lose and because losing was so horrifying it was scary because horror games are puzzles and they're predictable puzzles often pt was not predictable sometimes things wouldn't happen sometimes things would happen i recently watched this film called the deadly spawn it's a pretty big cult classic, and it's honestly really good. I think you would really fucking love it, Sweet. Oh, this looks fucking awesome. It's about these huge slug monsters who reproduce a lot. And there's this one scene where there's a bunch of women who are in a room, and then these worms come all out, and they start flipping their couches, and there's a bunch of worms. They crash into a picture on hanging on the wall. The picture falls. There's a bunch of worms behind it. This conversation is making me realize why I'm really scared of insects. It's not scared, right? It's this anxiety you're talking about. But it's the fucking stimulation of understanding the insect is always there. What do you mean that the insect is always there? I don't understand that. That an insect can actually be underneath anything. Oh, so like the scary thing about an insect is not that it will touch you. It's that you can lift up a cup and there'll be an insect under it. Exactly. Like you have no control over your space. The insect always has this ability. I had this one fucking problem where my computer had a bunch of fucking white bugs just crawling yeah, it was all so over it. so weird. You got computer and I could bites. not figure out what the fuck was going on with it how did you fix that they just stopped i don't know what the fuck it just stopped they just disappeared uh. like i don't know what the fuck happened but that's the thing of it about insects for me is it's different from the faces that you see in the dark because the faces that you see in the dark 
are probably not real? The insects are fucking real. Oh, uh, you, Walter, you cannot say they're probably not real. They have to be not real. They have to be uh, not real. I need to sleep okay. tonight. They're not real. God, they cannot be real. <gasps> they're not real for me, right? So, but like, if there's a cockroach at the bottom of my fucking computer, you're not going to be able to tell me that cockroach is not real, Walter. Insects are that type of stimulation. They come into my fucking room, literally, like a fucking wasp gets into your room and then you fucking hear it and it's like there and you don't want to, what you don't know what to do. The face does not come into my room, and I'm like, oh my god, what am I supposed to do with this fucking no, face? No, the face lives in your brain and harasses you until you inevitably kill yourself. <laughs> That's what the face does, Walter. <laughs> I hate faces. If every time I saw something that wasn't... Like, every time I had to deal with this face problem, I could get up and slap it, and it would go away, it would be just like your insects. The problem is I can't make it go away. <laughs> I just realized, maybe it's because you weren't beat. You, you said you can't slap the face. If you had a face in your head and then you were constantly beat whenever you had that face, wouldn't the beating be more scary than the face? <laughs> so the face would be like comforting and cool. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe you would just die as a kid. You'd be like, both sides are crazy to me, the physical and the fucking mental. So I will say, when things I was scared of stopped just being things like the faces and started being things like, Oh man, what if my fucking boss fires me because I messed up at the bookstore? Or like, oh man, I'm gonna fucking fail out of college. You know, like those anxieties. I started taking a lot of solace in the night and like the darkness and like being able to be comfortable in my room in the dark. You just gotta kiss that face. No. <laughs> Some of it is I can't see shit and it freaks me out, man. Because like with my glasses off, like, there could be a fucking face and I just can't fucking see. This is a real take, though. People say about. The reason why before in the past there's so many more monsters, mythology, and all this stuff is because everyone didn't have glasses. So everything they saw looked like a monster. And I thought this is what the film was playing with, which is why I was fascinated with that scene where their little girl goes up to see her two parents, right? Because that scene is... I lack vision. I am playing with vision. So when I see an image, I think it's a monster. But what you've explained to me too is that the reverse is completely fucking true. I lack vision... Therefore, the things I can't see are also a fucking monster. You know, the reason why I'm like a little mind blown is because I feel like I've missed out on half of the world. <laughs> like there's a missing part of the world that I have not activated. The lack of, the nothingness of Heidegger per se, right? <laughs> and again, I think it has to do with external versus internal stimulation, right? My mind is constantly stimulating itself. So it's not just the nothingness, it's the things my mind conjures within the nothingness that creates the anxiety. To whereas you, it's not going to stimulate your mind. If there's nothing, there's nothing. But for me, it's if there's nothing, there could be anything. You want to know what gets this right? The person who wrote PTSD channel, Furan Notane, oh my god, that, he gets this to a T. Is absolutely fantastic, deeply, deeply upsetting super weird childhood horror stuff that gets this exactly right seeds of anxiety the seeing faces and shadows shit that's what this manga is it's t totally worth reading it's anthology horror well do you remember the hundred percent walter loves this manga theme song what? no you don't remember it there was a bit where you were like oh my my cute my my cute I don't remember this bit, but since we're bringing you back past bits, I just want to fucking clarify to you, you can't make statements about K-On! music being only cute and happy oh because you God. haven't fucking watched oh K-On! Oh my God. <laughs> it was during the Space Sweepers episode. It's, it's one of my favorite bits of the Space Sweeper episodes because you go, oh, 
怖いですね怖いですね I don't know. I make up new songs every single time because I'm a fucking god. I'm like fucking John Lennon, baby. Because <laughs> you, you, you abuse your Asian wife. Just like John Lennon. As an adult, sometimes I get spooked by the dark. And it's so weird to me, Walt. Like, but really, like, you never are just in your bed and you're like, man, what if something's under my bed? No, I definitely had that. I just don't remember it being very influential. If someone asked me to write a short story about horror, my horror would be so based on stimulation. That's really interesting because that's like a huge element of horror, right? This thing you don't see is always scarier. That short story Terry was talking about, the boogeyman, one of the scariest things is you never see the monster. Nothing is scarier than the things we can imagine, is I think the adage in a lot of horror films and modern horror films. But for you, that's not the case. Yeah, it isn't the case because I am going through a ton of fucking movies in my head that have scared me. And I guarantee you and me, if we didn't have this dichotomy, we would be using a lot of language that we would think we're on the same page. But we both have very different reasons of why we're scared of it. And if we don't have conversations like this, we'll think we're on the same page. But we're not. We're literally being scared of two different things. And to be honest, OTP off the podcast, I'm way meaner to Suede about this type of stuff. So. I vocally said this. I think you're crazy too sometimes yeah. with yeah. the shit that my, you talk about. My fucking about. fears and anxieties. We actually genuinely can't understand each other in this way, right? Because we're so different. Less the anxieties, but the obsessive thinking thing that gets me really upset. You say like, oh, I'm sorry you're doing that again. But like, you don't get it. But I have a friend who I was like talking and I was like, man, don't you hate it when? And I started on like the obsessive thought pattern thing. And they're like, oh my God, every day. As it turns out, she and I have similar issues. She understands that in the same way that like... I don't really think I could ever understand the anxiety of being hit by a parent. I know it happens. <laughs> I think my dad spanked me once hard when I punched him in the balls when I was like very little. I got yanked once or twice, but I never got, there was never like a, if you misbehave, I'm going to strike you. Sometimes it wasn't even misbehaving. Sometimes it was just my eyes weren't good enough. <laughs> <laughs> See, and I can only laugh because that's a nightmare to me. Like I cannot imagine what that must have felt like. It's bad, right? Bad. I think there's two ways to answer that. Yes, I think it's bad to hit your kid and I don't think anyone should. And as a kid, I can definitely say I was scared of my mom because of it. But like, as an adult now, I don't hate my mom at all for any of that shit. What I will say is, well, the faces in your head are so influential in your life. I think I am more open to understanding that getting hit as a kid, especially for things that I didn't do wrong for, it was just like my eyes were bad, I wasn't tall enough. Those things are pretty ingrained in how I would evoke my personality or consider things. And it's like fun. Like, I find that such a fun fucking conversation. And there are a lot of people who would not, right? I think there's maybe, I don't know. What I'm also kind of worried is my mom would listen to this episode. <laughs> dude, I just like don't want people to think my mom is a bad person. No, dude, are you kidding me? There are so many people around the world who've been like, like, that's just like a culture thing. I don't know if it's good. I don't know if it's bad. I do want to talk about this subject. It's just... I feel like I know so many people who, if they did hear this, they would use it as ammo against my mom. But 
the subject is important because as you said so many people do go through this experience and it's extra frustrating because i think one of the reasons why people don't want to talk about their parents hitting them is because so many people have such a negative social connotation about it it like implies too much which prevents people from just having fun conversations about childhood, like our fear conversation. I actually beat Walter too. That's true. So I used to hit. I used to get mad and hit Walter all the time. So maybe he deserved it. Uh. That's true. I probably deserved it. If you asked your mom why she hit you when your eyes were bad, how do you think she would respond now? She'd probably say like times are changing. When I was young, my mom hit me all the time. She wouldn't defend it. No, she wouldn't defend it. She wouldn't apologize though, because I personally do think if your mom hits you, you're gonna hit your kid. Like I'm gonna hit my kid. Not I'm joking. Would you? Would you? strike your child i'm gonna try my hardest not to jeez i don't want to fucking make statements like oh for fuck sure i'm never gonna hit my kid ever like i think that's a dumb way to think about your life yeah of course my brother resents my mom what about your sister that one i'm not sure i would have to ask my sister resents my dad a little too more than i do because my sister told me the story where i've been very disillusioned with my dad in the past seven years my sister was very quick to be like nope never been disillusioned by him because one day he came home when my mom was beating me and he didn't even come inside. And I knew from that day on my dad didn't give a shit about me. Do you think that's like a mom to mom thing? Like it's a part of the reason your mom was harder on your sister than you was because her mom was harder than her. It's like a woman cycle thing. Could be. But this is not a world that I have access to. My dad's sister, my aunt, also has some stories about her relationship with my grandma that are very specific that seem like my dad and my uncle have like no fucking access to or don't even give a shit about anyways the point of really that is if this movie was like gonna scare me completely it would be these two kids watching tv and every single time they hear a noise it could be their mom <laughs> that's like one of those like have you heard of the parents no but there are yeah, where parents like, turn into monsters and just like kill people do i think physical abuse does do something to fears now you're talking about this one of the things i was most fucking scared of my dad would talk about going to china and singapore it was like the scariest fucking thing ever because I know those schools, the teachers would hit their kids. Oh, I see. So you were afraid of being a student in China or Singapore. Because you would get caned. Yeah, that would be a scary thing to experience as a child. It wasn't even like I was scared of losing my friends. You were just scared of getting beat by the teachers. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's why sadistic horror was the first horror that I turned to. Like Saw and stuff like that? Like, I still haven't watched Saw. Saw sounded scary to me. See, and to me, it just sounds unpleasant. That's why I, I didn't watch it. I was just like, this just sounds gross and boring. I, I found this conversation really interesting. No, I mean, I think if anything, it shows how fucking nuts we are. <laughs> you are unable to respond to anything you deem uninteresting, and I'm terrified of things <laughs> that don't exist. Like, both of us are deeply disturbed. But is it because we care and have conversations about fears and horrors don't you think any horror fan they would be able to like access this type of conversation i think that's true i think there are like two types of horror people to be frank and are interacting with the fear in relationship to their own anxieties and there are people who like it for the aesthetic i used to access over aesthetic i think only talking to you has helped me enjoy these conversations way more and let's be fucking fair initially horror was one of those things i was just like yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, literally. Literally. <laughs> literally, literally, literally. I mean, that's why I gravitate to talking with Suede, and I love talking to you because he makes things that I think are, like, fucking boring so fucking fascinating. Something I feel I'm so like, loved right now. 
I feel so loved. <laughs> I feel so warm. That's why you should thank the face in your brain, by the way. No, I'll never thank the face in my brain. Otherwise, we'd never be friends. Here's what I want. I read this comic. It was definitely adult adjacent about this guy who's being haunted by this ghost, but it turns out that she's really cute and they fall in love. That's what I want. That's what would cure my anxiety. I'm like really scared. I'm in bed. There's like a spooky ghost hanging above my bed. And then I like kind of look a little closer and I'm like, damn, she kind of thick. She kind of a snack. Dude, I legit always think ghost her like that <laughs> well, well, that's because you're like a fucking weird pervert i think ghosts are so cute and hot <laughs> what is wrong with you what is you're insane <laughs> my mom had some experiences with ghosts and she said they were not negative one was weird but not negative and one was positive they're hot but like do you think your parents <laughs> believe in ghosts like hong kong style ghosts because i know you don't right i think they probably believe in the same way i do if a ghostly experience happens to us we're not gonna say no but we just never had that experience and we're not gonna search for it i like ghosts though i think it makes the world more exciting <laughs> i just want a cute ghost not a scary ghost i, I think ghost all girl. ghosts have to be cute and they all want to have sex with me <laughs> oh my god you're so fucking disturbed <laughs> maybe the reason why our podcast doesn't get listens is because only cute ghosts are listening to us <laughs> only cute ghost girls are listening to us if you're a cute ghost girl like comment and subscribe give us a retweet it retweet this episode say you're a cute ghost i'm a sexy cute ghost not a sexy ghost a cute ghost like a girl next door ghost i'll take a guy next door too in the past month this happened to me three times i've had some incredibly vivid almost wet dream type of having sex with men dreams well, folks, that was a good episode here. Uh, my name is Spade Best. I want to thank you all for coming. Uh, you know, be sure to uh, like, comment, and subscribe. Uh, go ahead and share the episode. That always helps us a whole lot. <laughs>talking to us on Twitter. We love you, Maddie. We'll do another episode with you soon. That was a funny convo, Maddie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was talking to us about arteries and veins and all that stuff. And also the idea of having one of those IV places in Roanoke. Please consider sending us an email or engaging with us. I think we're funny tweeters. It's just no one gives us content. I mean, Swade can do it, but I, I need you guys to stimulate me before I can be funny. So stimulate me, guys. <laughs> and I gave a lot of bookmarks out this week. So if you're listening to this episode from after I gave you a bookmark, what up? I think it worked. I saw that some people started from episode one and episode two. So for those people who did that, I apologize because those are probably our worst episodes. I liked our first episode. I was actually thinking about what Catherine would have thought of this. For those of you who don't know, Catherine was like our original triple host, best host. We hung up her jersey in the rafters, total Hall of Fame. Yeah, Tillman. What are fucking Sylvan? Yeah, just like Tillman. It's Catherine Tillman, Tillman and Tillman. Catherine. Catherine and Sylvan. I have started this fucking podcast so sarcastic about Tillman, and I'm like feeling genuine love for Tillman. Yeah, yeah dude, we are this. pro Tillman on this podcast. <laughs> Shout out to uh, Slug Queen Art. They're one of our followers, and I just recently realized they have a art selling Instagram, and their paintings are really cool. We went to college with them. I don't know if they listen. I hope they listen. If you're listening, shoot us a message or do fan art. Give me a second.
I can never remember people's Twitter's names because it's like fucking Twitter. Who cares? Get off Twitter. Don't do Twitter. You can always send us an email instead. Yeah, send us an email. That's much more useful. Well, now I can't even find this motherfucker on Twitter. It's like bisexual Barry bro or something. Shout out to another one of Swade's imaginary friends. <laughs> one of my imaginary friends. How many imaginary friends have you brought to the podcast already? God damn it. Just one. Just one. That's not true. You have w- one that you thought was a degen but isn't a degen. I don't know think you have any people around you i'm just annoyed that i can't figure out this person's twitter oh oh glenn youngkin is trending on twitter what did that dumb motherfucker do if he's not pat tillman i don't give a shit (laughs) dude he's roanoke's fucking (laughs) shitty ass governor he's like trying to ban a bill that like keeps people from finding out about your menstrual cycle why does he want to figure out why people have menstrual cycles dude not why walt when he probably (laughs) knows why people have menstrual cycles This is the problem when we don't get listeners. I'm actually going to start celebrating Trump really soon if we don't get <laughs> listeners. Dude, Trump it. Dude, Trump that bitch up. Dude, that shit's so fucked. Dude, what the fuck is wrong with America? Oh my god. Dude, like a fucking fucking bunch of poison chemicals spilled because... Oh my god, whatever. If you're going to watch a movie, do it with the lights off. Oh my god.